This episode of Tub Talk is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com forward slash Tub Talk and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and Trust Radius. From their award-winning support, offered 24 by 7 by 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high memory GPUs and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com forward slash tub talk and create a free account with your Google, GitHub or email address and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com forward slash tub talk for $100 in credit. Hello and welcome to Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Now, I've been looking forward to having today's guest on the show for the longest possible time. He is one of my go-to guys in the cybersecurity realm. And if you've never seen this man present at a conference or an event or a user group, well, let's just say you're missing out on a very high-energy insight into the world of cybersecurity. Ian Thornton-Trump is the Chief Security Officer of Sijax, a threat intelligence and cybersecurity company. He's an ITIL-certified IT professional with 20 years of experience in IT security and information technology. Now, from 1989 to 1992, Ian served with the Canadian Forces Military Intelligence Branch. This is one very, very interesting man with a lot of opinions and a lot of knowledge to share with us. On a day-to-day basis now, Ian performs real-time threat analysis of immediate threats and keeps abreast of developing security threats. This is a man who lives, breathes, and talks cybersecurity. Ian, welcome to Top Talk. Wow. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to hear it. Uh, spelled out like that, but you know, equally so. Um, I'm delighted to be here as a, we've been trying to um, link up and do an actual podcast um, for for quite some time. Almost uh, we we counted back just before the show, almost two years. I was going to say we used to see each other all of the time, and I think our relationship is one that's maybe um, like so many people taken a hit because of the pandemic. I just got to, used to seeing you and vice versa. Uh, events like CompTIA, other industry events. We would chew the fat, we would catch up, we would keep up to date on what's going on. And then we would just, just before we came on air, we were saying it's been over two years since, you know, we've caught up in person, so to speak, face-to-face as we are now. But um, so much that I want to talk to you about. But before we jump in, can you explain your role at Sijax and how you help businesses, just to give people a little bit of background on what you do now? Sure. Um, You know, in the cyber threat intelligence world, uh, we tend to look uh, a little bit broader than just, you know, an endless uh, feed of IOCs, you know, uh, hostile domains or hostile IP addresses. I think we're known for putting some context behind the uh, uh, behind the information, the, the the finished intelligence products that we're sending out to our uh, customers. Customers are generally in the enterprise space, although what we've seen. Um, quite recently is a renewed interest from uh, the mid-market and MSPs that serve the mid-market. Yeah, makes sense. What what do you put that um, explosion in interest down to? That feels as though it's a really simple question to ask, an obvious question, but what are you seeing in the space? Why is there so much more interest in cybersecurity? 
Well, I think, you know, broadly speaking, when we when we look at what the numbers are telling us uh, about six trillion in cybercrime losses predicted for 2021, and then the FBI comes out with a report that said, you know, since the pandemic began, they've seen a 300 percent increase in, in cyber criminal uh, um action. So, you know, with the mainstream media sort of breathlessly reporting the next mega breach, um, I think it's every it's on everybody's mind. And I think MSPs are being asked to do a lot more in the security space. Uh, many of them have been, I'm going to say it and, and just be kind of brutally honest, are a little bit set in their ways and maybe not particularly comfortable with all of the aspects of digital transformation that businesses rapidly went um, through during the pandemic time. Um, and so I think, you know, when I look at this, I, I'm I'm intrigued at both the opportunity, but also the challenges. And, you know, to be quite fair to our MSPs, they've had a tremendous burden placed on them. Uh, given, you know, the fact that survival during the COVID period uh, was heavily, heavily reliant on IT and infrastructure um, and the rapid build out of that infrastructure to accommodate work from home. But then also when you ramp up the amount of scams and fraud and the continuous stream of cyber attacks on infrastructure, um, you know, my heart goes out to these folks as they've been working, you know, in some cases, you know, crazy hours just to keep their customers up and running in in what has proven to be a very difficult and hostile period. Yeah, and I want to touch upon that more, the modern state of cybersecurity. But before we do, I want to rewind a little bit. I can't believe you and I as friends have never had this conversation before. So as always, I'm going to share it with the listeners. (laughs) Mate, what was it like serving with military intelligence? (laughs) You know, it, it was interesting because what it was about, and this was back in like 1987 to 92, that time period, you had a number of things. It was the introduction of like what they called automated data processing, right? So the first, you know, IBM PCs and computers being deployed to actually handle the, the data. But more importantly, what we're seeing is the tail end of the Soviet Union. Um, So although the techniques of analysis and dissemination and the various five steps of the of the intelligence process were, you know, hammered into you during during, you know, training and courses and exercises, the actual practical um, application of all of this knowledge about, you know, the Soviet Union uh, evaporated very quickly. And so, you know, it's sort of like one of those things where, you know, you learn to ride the bike and then, you know, the bike is taken away um, <laughs> quickly. But, you know, fast forward to where we are today the value of um, intelligence at an operational level to guide decisions within the business or at a tactical level to protect yourself from an imminent cyber attack, or even at the strategic level to figure out which direction should we sail our business in, um, all become really important aspects of the management of risk within that business. And for MSPs, the management of risk for uh, uh, for their customers. Yeah, makes sense. I've always been intrigued to ask you that question. So let me thank you for letting me put you on the spot and uh, talk about it. Right. Let's address, we've got to address the elephant in the room straight up front. I can't speak to a cybersecurity expert without addressing the huge cybersecurity news from this year that kept, and let's be honest, is still keeping MSPs awake at night. 
We had the Solar Winds uh, breach. We had yeah. the Kaseya breach. For those who aren't familiar, can you explain the nature of those breaches, supply chain attacks, and what actually happened? Sure. So, so uh, the first thing to do is not get caught up on the word supply chain. Because unless you're building your own operating system or manufacturing your own um, software tools, everything that you have as an MSP or a company is part of your supply chain. Okay. So, you know, now MSP and MSP toolings, of course, are in a special place in in my heart, you know, having come from Logic Now and, uh, you know, arguably, you know, one of the best RMM tools ever produced in the world. But what happens is this, it's sort of, we've seen, you know, um, many RMM tools fall to the the enemy, um, you know, that's out there. And that tool is then used to distribute some sort of nasty maliciousness, usually ransomware to end customers. Okay. And so when you think about what the problem inherent in that particular scenario is, is you're highly dependent on something that maybe wasn't given the de rigueur for the modern attack surface that we face today. You know, right. we can see a relationship between on-premise Microsoft Exchange and a host of zero-day attacks on that particular infrastructure. But then we see that Office 365 or um, Exchange in the cloud services from Microsoft are not subject to the same um, vulnerabilities. So what does this tell us? Broadly speaking, the older it is, the more vulnerable it is. And this goes back to the early days where it wasn't just, you know, Kaseya or Orion or any of the other RMM tools out there. Many manufacturers of software tools, including some completely not related to management of infrastructure, required you to whitelist directories or um, whitelist particular application uh, applications or give them elevated provisions um, or require the installation of very vulnerable software like uh, Adobe um, Flash back in the day. So, so what we're seeing now is the fact that all of these old things that we depended on, that we relied upon, are succumbing to aggressive cyber actors that have learned their trade and can really now exploit these type of things. And, and the vulnerabilities that they're attacking, uh, Richard, are sometimes built into the products themselves, right? So we've seen things like uh, a set of credentials that is unique to a particular software. And those credentials, once they've been reverse engineered or derived, can give the, um, the, the attackers um, access to the to the boxes. We've seen that sort of attack, right? We've seen attacks where there are certain vulnerabilities within the software that need to be there for the software to function, but yet can then be exploited uh, by the bad guys. So simply put, what I think we're seeing is that the products that we rely on within the businesses themselves have not really advanced in terms of security investment at the rate that they needed to, given what the attack looks like now. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I hear a lot of MSPs. Well, let me rewind a little bit. There is a lot of discomfort at the moment. Um, I'm seeing a lot of uh, verbal sparring between 
vendors in the MSP space, MSPs, there's a lot of unhappiness out there as well. So what you've just said absolutely makes sense. But I'm hearing a lot of MSPs say, we are done with the off-the-shelf packages. We're going to use our own in-house stuff. We're going to build our own tools. What's your thoughts on that, honestly? Because from my perspective, as a managed service provider, you've got to pull tools together from different sources. It's going to be really, really, really difficult to do it on your own. But you're the expert in this matter. What would you say to an MSP that's saying, we're going to do away with the off-the-shelf packages and we're going to do this ourselves? Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's a tough bill. But at the end of the day, what you're talking about is remote access Trojan, mm. essentially. And I mean, you can buy them on the on the bad side and you can buy them on the good side. It, it all depends on what you want to do with it. But listen, the actual functionality for remote management of all of these systems um, exists within the operating systems themselves, you know? So initially you might look at it and go, you know, this is a pretty daunting task, but you know, when you look at what a modern RMM tool has sort of become, you, I don't think that there's MSPs out there that are leveraging every single feature of that particular um, tool to deliver service. So if you're an MSP where you've got a really good grip on what your service offering is and what, what you need to get the job done, building something that's lean and clean and doesn't have a lot of bloat might be a really powerful um, solution to your problem. Conversely, though, that might lock you into your own ecosystem where you where you can't have the level of flexibility that you need. You know, there's always going to be opportunities to um, integrate with particular pieces of software, whether that's you know an XDR EDR solution or backup uh, solution. You know, because there's proven track records of some really great stuff out there. But I guess where everyone is starting to get worried is about the access piece of this, of putting something on a box that by its very nature allows for you to manipulate that box remotely. And, you know, there's even a movement in the United States that I heard of, of MSPs, can you believe this, Richard, forgoing any sort of RMM tool. Wow. Complete, no remote access. Interesting perspective. Yeah, very challenging, I would have thought, but it's 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 doable like most things. But at the end of the day, how big of a lift is it actually going to be? Are you going to end up being an MSP that creates essentially the tools that you could buy in the market? Um, yeah, I think really the onus is on the MSPs and the vendors to work together to figure this one out. But away from opinion for a minute, let's go on to you know facts and practical real world um, ideas for people. The audience this show is typically the owners of IT business, managed service providers. What should MSPs be doing right now to keep their clients safe? Give us some practical ideas in. Sure. MFA or we don't play. It's <laughs> I pretty, like it. It's pretty straightforward. You need multi-factor authentication and of. All your tools need to be covered. All your services need to be covered. And the next piece of this, as I would say, is what is the roadmap for those apps that your customers are running, or maybe even you yourself are running, uh, that require elevated privileges, right? You start trying to lifecycle those off. And I mean, it's tough, Richard, because some mm. folks have built a 10-year or 20 years of workflow that you know was dependent on a PSA and QuickBooks on-premise integration. And now, you know, I don't think you can even get QuickBooks on-premise anymore. Okay. So, so I think 
what you need to do as a um, as an MSP is really not just worry about your customer's IT lifecycle, but your own IT lifecycle, right? You're going to need to start looking at new tools. You're going to need to explore new things and figure out how to make some money off of that ecosystem. You know, as an example, you're going to have customers that want to put stuff in Amazon or want to put stuff in Azure. You better figure out how to do that for them and make money off of that and add the security and compliance layers that they don't probably think that they need, but they actually need when you look at the type of data that's being stored in there. So, mm. so it's an evolutionary process. And, you know, what do they say? Evolve or die. Um, this, this sort of, to me, reminds me of, you know, 2015, where we thought the answer to uh, crypto locker was backup, you know, fast forward to where we are now. And we're looking at how do we stop data exfiltration? How do we stop exploitation? How do we, how do we manage um, lateral movement within the network? And how do we prevent our backups from getting deleted? By a, by a compromise. So the amount of hostile activity is not just click on a link and get ransomware now. The amount of hostile um, activity is based on a full-scale compromise of the customer's infrastructure and basically the complete copying, if you will, of their entire data set. Well, MFA or we don't play, evolve or die, you are a one-man walking uh, cybersecurity um, quote generator here, and I absolutely, I love it. We'll uh, we'll definitely include all of this in the in the show notes. I've mentioned before. I mean, I don't want to make you blush. I'm a raving fan of your work. I follow the stuff that you do. Uh, we can follow. You. What's your Twitter handle again? It's Fat Hobbit on uh, Twitter. Yeah, isn't it? at Fat underscore Hobbit, and uh, I'm pretty excited because uh, obviously ransomware has been a big focus, um, and I'll, I'll be in the uh, the uh, Sunday the Sunday Times in oh. uh, in a special report on ransomware, and I'll be sharing some thoughts on that. Um, so you know. It's, it's constantly being, I think, aware of, of what the adversary is attempting to do, how that adversary is learning their, um, their craft, if, if you will, of, of uh, computer network exploitation uh, from the APT uh, groups that are, that are you know, doing it for a living, as it were. Yeah. One thing I've heard you mention, uh, forgive me, I, I can't. Uh, quite exactly where I saw you say this, but you've mentioned that you may have failed at security even before the attack happens. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by this? So, so all too often we're about the preventative and the reactive. And what I'm saying in a lot of cases is look at the numbers. Kaspersky came out with this great report that talked about what proactive approaches to cybersecurity can impact the cost of data breach, right? There's some, you know, uh, conclusions that they draw that are pretty self-evident, like the sooner you detect the breach, the less it's going to cost you. Okay, you know, I'm willing, I'm willing to say that. But things about like, you know, the amount of data that you're storing and that sensitive data, you know, reduce the amount of data reduces the amount of risk. They've put some interesting numbers behind that. And the, the cost savings can be anywhere from 40 to 60%, depending on what sort of advice you can institute. This, to me, changed the paradigm from looking at this as, you know, a reactive, you know, the customer's calling, you know, I can't print or there's a ransom being demanded on my screen, um, you know, to what can we do to anticipate the attack um, and maybe not even have the attack 
take hold of that particular customer. You know, case in point, we're seeing with uh, Pulse VPN and the exploitations there, right? Um, not patching and updating VPN endpoints is a terrible idea. And, uh, you know, the result has been ransomware in, in, in a lot of cases. So, so I feel like there is a lot of things that can be done that, you, you know, if you put your, your listening hat on and pay attention to how other businesses are getting hurt, um, don't let that happen to your businesses. Yeah. Let's elaborate on that a little bit. We've talked as an industry, MSPs talk about becoming trusted advisors to their clients. It's a long-standing goal for MSPs. They want to be treated in the same way that small businesses look to their accountants or solicitors, trusted advisor. You and I spoke recently, uh, though, about trusted advisor as a service. What do you see that looking like? So I see it as, as sort of like the package of, you know, desktop network services, if you will, you know, build per user. But it's really about figuring out how to make that customer um, less risky to your own business. Okay. So it's like getting into the canoe with them and they're paddling at front, uh, up front just as fast as they can paddle to build their business and to grow and explore new territory and stuff like that. You're at the back of that canoe steering the, the, the boat, okay? And, and the idea behind this is, is that, listen, ultimately customers are going to do what customers are going to do. But if you can nudge them, and by nudge, I mean give them advice, and sometimes maybe even strong on them a little bit into getting to making the right decision. The other option you have is if you do X, I will do Y. And what do I mean by that? If your business can move off your on-premise exchange server to Office 365, I'll drop, I'll add a 5% discount to your monthly services or 10% discount to your monthly services, right? right? If you if you work with me to not have printers exposed to the internet um, and, and put them behind VPN. If you can get them to adopt, you know, best practices and uh, a, a tighter security posture, then you can incentivize it because you know that that customer is going to be less risky. Therefore, you don't have to charge as much money. I want to see that at an operational level within the MSP relationship with their customer by road mapping out, you know, these are the old things that are causing me the most grief. You know, I see it all the time with very old telephone systems that are stuck into the network and that can cause all sorts of problems and are difficult to configure and impossible to secure because of the ancient nature of the technology. But I think more importantly, this is about um, guaranteeing a longstanding customer relationship with them by incentivizing their own security. And at a national program level, I'd like to see that as a tax deduction for the wow. businesses themselves. Yeah. And I've been advocating for that for a while, that simply asking a business and even having it as a regulatory requirement is not doing enough. Because the numbers tell us that cyber attacks are increasing, the amount of money the bad guys are taking out of the economy, which is almost the size of the state of California's GDP now, um, it's just getting worse. So something's got to change. Yeah, I love that idea as a whole. You know, longtime listeners of this show, and you've probably heard me on stage bang on about this, get on my soapbox, but managed services to me, Ian, is lowering your cost of support, 
increasing your profit. You've just summarized there, you know, if you can build a relationship with a client where it says, hey, this is going to lower our cost of supporting you. This is going to make you more secure. We're going to be able to profit, share some of that profit with you, give you a, I'm not going to call it a discount, but incentivize people to do it. I see it out in the market. You said earlier on, MFA or we don't play. Some of the early movers in that market, you know, uh, we use MailChimp for our uh, email marketing. MailChimp offered a 5% discount for your account if you took up 2FA. That's the way to do it. And yet I'm seeing this crazy situation where some vendors in the market are actually charging extra for things like two-factor authentication. And, you know, I will say, and I've said it publicly, I'm intrigued to see if you agree with me or disagree. My advice to people is move away from those vendors. Let them know in the pocket that that's just not a cool way to do business. Move away is a polite way of saying it's GTFO, right? Like <laughs> yes. I would be, I would be so incensed. And you know, it's the kind of thing that my thirteen thousand or so followers on Twitter, the level of outrage that we could generate from something like that is 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 pretty impressive. Yeah. Having said that, you know, one of our problems that the vendor space is challenged with right now is securing APIs. Uh, between different products, right? Um, and and so that's you know in in our business of of doing heavy integrations with um, products like QRadar and ThreatQ and and some of the other like Bandura Cyber and stuff like that. And we understand the importance of the information that we're transmitting via API, so it needs appropriate safeguards as well. Right. Mm. And this now becomes part of, you know, our commitment to secure software development lifecycle and, you know, ISO 27001. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I want to rewind a little bit. You talked about, you know, trusted advisor of service. You also talked about getting out in front of some of these issues uh, as well. Uh, Again, practical advice, but what regular research tasks would you suggest to MSPs, perhaps who are listening today? I know that MSPs are super busy. Oh, yeah. But get on to podcasts. Um, if only there was one that focused on technology in the channel, uh, readily available for your for listeners. Um, <laughs> no, but explore the new technologies that are out there and understand that, you know, your business today is got to be dynamic. Um, it's going to change. Your customers are going to be dynamic. They're going to change. Some may not, but you need to really be strategic about if they come to you and say, we want to get rid of all of our tin, we want to move our servers into the cloud, you need to be able to A, do that for them and B, you know, charge money uh, for the, the security services that they need. And that might mean adopting some new technology like SIM or looking at some sort of uh, new security technology to help on the, the forensic side or deploying EDR into, you know, cloud instances and stuff like that. So all of this thing needs to be ready. And this is why, you know, MSPs should never be taken by surprise by their customers. If, mm. if you do have a customer that's constantly, um, you know, doing strange stuff, um, you need to have a little chat with them because they should be paying you to try out this new stuff or or move their um, business along down that technology road. That's your job. And, you know, you have to have that relationship with them rather than showing up at a customer site going, what new fresh hell um, am I faced with here? (laughs) Absolutely. Now, there's going to be some people listening to this. We've talked about some 
fairly advanced cybersecurity topics, I would say very, very relevant given the state of the market. But on a practical level, there's going to be MSPs listening to this, IT consultants, maybe one-man bands, smaller shops who are going to say, my client just doesn't take security seriously. So my question to you is, on a practical level, how important is it really for clients to maintain things like good passwords, uh, mm -hmm. good passwords, strong passwords, the basic protection steps we always talk about? Is it really essential nowadays, or can an MSP look the other way? Uh, EMSP should be working in partnership, of course. Um, and my advice, if you really have a customer that's like adamant that, you know, wants to use, it doesn't want to use, um, you know, uh, it wants to use generic logins and, you know, wants password one, two, three, um, you know what, it's time to up their price until they go somewhere else. Because yeah. they're a huge risk to your MSP. And not I'm not talking about a cybersecurity incident that happens to that customer. That's going to be crappy, okay? But I'm now talking about all of the other customers that you have and they will now suffer from the neglect because all of your resources are focused on getting uh, this customer out of what I would consider a self-inflicted gunshot wound to their head. Yes. Right? Because they've set themselves up to be vulnerable. They've set themselves up. They've ignored your pragmatic uh, good advice. There's only so much technology that um, can be deployed, which ultimately can't fix stupid decisions. So you need to have the conversation with them and say, listen, like, I'm going to review the 10 or 20 things that have happened at your site and I got to put my price up. Sorry. You will literally be doing them a favor. Because when they go to market, sure, they might find some MSP that's hungry and is going to want to take them on. But the first thing that MSP is going to do is wander into that uh, environment and go, this is super high risk. You know, I can't believe you guys are computing like it's 1999 up in here. You know? <laughs> yes, indeed. I think one of the things that I would always say about managed service providers is a double-edged sword. We're given a lot of responsibility. The, the flip side to that is, if, or should I say, when it hits the fan and something goes wrong, even if the client has turned down your advice on it, even if the client has said, no, 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 we don't want to do it, guess who they're going to turn to to fix the mess? Guess who they're going to blame? Guess who they're going to say, well, you've you've dropped us in it, we're going to move on to somebody else. So you yeah, absolutely agree with we're, what you've said. We're lucky in the UK because generally it doesn't descend into an incredibly litigative and expensive matter. Yeah. Um, it, you know, but in other jurisdictions, especially the United States, everything becomes a potential litigative matter. And so it becomes very um, risky from the perspective of even trying but failing, um, you know, for, for an MSP. I mean, we go back to the advice of choose your customers wisely. Um, and, you know, figure out if you can't work with them in the first three months, it's unlikely that they're going to change their behavior, you know? Yeah, absolutely agree. Now, I've heard you talk before about, and, and again, this is another one of these famous uh, sound bites that you've got. And there are many. Anybody listening to this, go and search Ian online, follow his 13,000 plus Twitter followers and uh, benefit from this guy's wisdom. I've heard you talk about an agile MSP being a resilient MSP. Can you elaborate on that for me? So it's, it's first of all, I would say it's a bit of a philosophy and mindset of, uh, of answering every question with, let me get back to you on your options and then going and finding those options for the customer. So being right. agile, not saying no, 
but not saying yes. <laughs> sure. um, it, it's really about finding the solutions, the, the secure solutions, the best solutions for that particular business and aligning that business's strategic objectives to the technology that you're suggesting. From the resilience perspective, if you constantly tell a customer no, it is very unlikely that customer will eventually go somewhere else, <laughs> okay? So part of your agility, part of your ability to seek out the solutions in the marketplace that that customer needs is really about being resilient in the face of, you know, that customer um, wanting to expand their business, wanting to make strategic moves, right? And so, for instance, you know, I get into situations with a customer that wants to merge um, with another customer, you know? That's an, al that's an opportunity. Is it a challenge? Absolutely. But it's also an opportunity for you to grow your revenue, for you to do things right, for you to be able to play the let's do it over. Let's make it from the ground up. It's not going to take a lot of extra effort, but rather than trying to establish a domain trust relationship between you know, a moderately secure client of yours and a hopelessly vulnerable client, let's just build a new domain. Let's take the best practices, apply them as best we can, and move everybody into that. And yeah, is it going to be a little bit more work? Yes, but Man, I can't think of a better scenario for you to ingratiate and build your trust with that customer by giving them something that is going to be robust and is going to, you know, stick to the test of time, yeah. right? You know, the first thing you do is you assess the hardware on both sides. Can I work with this stuff? No? Okay, well, what I'm going to do is now because you're bringing me, you know, 10, 20, 30 or 40 more users, I'm going to add on a per monthly basis, right? the technology packages or the project um, and let you subsidize it. But please sign this one-year contract so you know I'm not left high and dry, right? It's, and again, being able to work with your customer on solutions, be it you know, financial constraints or technological desires, is really about being agile as an MSP, and that builds some resiliency. The other piece of this, as an MSP, you've got to be looking at your tax stack. You got to figure out what you're going to do if suddenly, you know, that one of your key suppliers or one of your key pieces of technology fails you, right? And so that's, I think, another critical aspect to this. You know, some folks are really passionate about, you know, firewall, you know, X, Y, Z. The reality is, is all of these things over time decay, over time become vulnerable, over time go out of lifecycle management. Hell, I thought the Cisco RV802 um, routers firewalls were the best thing in the entire world until there's now two unpatched vulnerabilities in them, which are now bundled in Metasploit. So that's a terrible idea to deploy that hardware. Yeah. Let me ask you, what, what does your security stack look like? Or what does your technology stack look like at the moment? Will you share that with us? How do you keep yourself yeah, safe? Absolutely. So, um, so first of all, we take a pragmatic approach to vulnerability management, which is if it's exposed to the internet, it's a priority. Right. And most of the time we're able to get, you know, a, an in-band uh, patch deployment within 15 days of the patch release. Occasionally, though, there's stuff that comes out that is everybody's like freaking out. But I think what we do better than most companies is completely lower or remove the attack surface. Right. You know, there's not an any any firewall rule in the networks that we're responsible for. Right. That'll that will get you fired um, pretty quickly. 
Um, so figure out what needs to communicate with what and build it accordingly so that you don't have that ex external attack surface um, that, that seems to be so vulnerable uh, these days. You know, big fan of EDR, but big fan of forensics tools as well at the network layer, right? I don't believe that just looking at it from an endpoint-centric um, uh, perspective is the way to go because there is all of that Android and IoT infrastructure that's now part of the modern business, right? You know, even the data projectors are online uh, now and, you know, need to be at least monitored, if not, you know, part of the whole vulnerability stack. And then finally, it's just keeping on top of, you know, what is the threat? What do I have in terms of assets? Are these assets vulnerable to the threat? Right. If you're already, you know, up to date with the latest Chrome, then you don't worry about a Chrome vulnerability that's tearing around the Internet. Right. And it, and it reduces the level of stress and it builds confidence with your with your customers. Yeah. Are there specific tools that you use on a personal level? Like uh, pass, I, I use, for instance, LastPass. We use within our team for password management. We use Privatize for uh, a cloud-based VPN. Are there tools like that that you use yourself that you recommend to friends and family? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it, it depends because a lot of the stuff that we're doing is pretty expensive kit, to be fair. Um, but yeah, you know, I was talking more like yourself when you're on the laptop browsing Netflix and things like that. What does Ian use? I'm I'm using all sorts of different stuff um, because I'm constantly testing out new stuff. <laughs> a couple of things that I really like right now, something called Black Fraud Privacy. Um, one of my close uh, buddies has gone and worked for them and we've adopted it as our server um, uh, uh, cybersecurity solution. It's kind of like a network layer EDR solution. Yeah, um, I've been aware of it myself. I've kept an eye on it. Very interesting. We'll include that in the show notes to give it a shout out. Yeah, and then the other guys that are doing something really cool is an outfit called Total, T-O-Y-D-L. Yes. Um, and they're doing sort of like a client MPLS networking agent thing, which essentially pushes your connection to the cloud. So no matter where you are, you go to their point of presence. And so what's really interesting about the technology, especially from like a compliance perspective, is quite literally... You could block all outbound traffic except to that particular point of presence and still have access to all of the things that you need access to. It's remarkable technology, and I think it's going to be game-changing for small, medium businesses that are just sick and tired of you know, having to expose all sorts of nasty stuff, um, vulnerable stuff uh, to the internet. And I, and I think that, you know, they're in the right time, the right place uh, to really do some neat stuff. And then, of course, you know, there's the legacy RMM toolkits like, you know, Enable and uh, Synchro, which is one that I'm really fond of. Uh, I really like them. Uh, it seems to be um, very low overhead, um, not particular bloaty, gives you just what you need and uh, easy to onboard a new technician to it um, very, very quickly. So, you know, it's 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 sort of like, the other thing I got to say is you need to have sort of your fit for purpose tech toolkits. Like not everyone you need, you know, the Kaspersky EDR on their endpoint, you know, um, it really depends on the risk. It really depends on what, you know, what you're going to encounter in some organizations that are only running two or three different business apps. Uh, you can build a very secure infrastructure by using whitelisting technology uh, to just allow, you know, execution of those apps. And man, you've got solid infrastructure. Yeah. Now, we've been doing this for a, 
for a little while. <laughs> I was trying to try to call where you and I first met. I think it was, I'm going to say it was back at uh, GFI Max. Probably uh, we were working there, which is, yeah, yeah, which is now moved on solar winds and, and, and gone through a few name changes in that. So we've seen an awful lot change in the industry in terms of cybersecurity. Fast forward to today, what would you say is the thing that concerns you most about the state of modern cybersecurity? What keeps Ian Thornton Trump up of a night? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it sent chills down my spine when I saw, you know, the Kaseya hack and, and the solar winds attacks. Um, I think, you know, the next big thing to uh, that, you know, my takeaway is that it seems like things like ServiceNow, BMC, the Remedy, uh, those um, uh, those attack surfaces are getting explored. Um, the the other area I think is is really worth noting too is um, fundamentally there isn't enough comfort yet in the marketplace with um, cloud security deployment and securing uh, S three uh, infrastructure on Amazon. I mean, you go to uh, Gray Hat Warfare and they're constantly identifying buckets of storage that front-end uh, web servers or um, have been using as back-end storage. And, you know, that stuff is all clear text. They just disable security until it works, not realizing that in a lot of cases, despite the warnings, um, that data is now publicly exposed. So I think, you know, what, what's becoming more apparent is, you know, the phishing email with a link. To be honest, I think we're getting really good at it, uh, detecting that. Um, Microsoft is making an interesting move on that in that they don't care. They're blocking it if their algorithm feels that it should be blocked. Um, you know, one could argue that's opening themselves up for a big antitrust lawsuit from all of the mail filtering solutions that are out there in the marketplace. Um, but, you know, I get where their frustration is at when, yeah. you know, that seems to be the primary attack vector. But I've really noticed cyber criminals, um, have uh, have up the ante, if you will, in terms of like zero day development uh, and zero day attacks on infrastructure. And, and so, you know, we used to think, okay, we deploy email filtering, we deploy AV on the endpoints. Um, great, we're good to go. It's those attacks with, that are existing within the browser right? Those attacks that manipulate the operating system, or as we like to call it, living off the land cyber attacks, incredibly hard to detect, um, but with potentially devastating consequences, uh, if not detected. Yeah. So your role, cyber threat intelligence, tell us more about cyber threat intelligence. And specifically, I said the, you know, the predominant audience of this podcast is managed service providers, IT professionals. How does cyber threat intelligence and what you do, how does it apply to that audience of MSPs? You know, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we've been at it for 2012, uh, since 2012 with enterprise customers. And what we're seeing is... Um, we want to do two things. We want to have an advantage over the bad guys instead of continually playing cleanup. My belief is that cyber threat intelligence gives you that advantage by telling you what's coming and what potentially could arrive at your firewall and how to either detect it or avoid it completely. So as an example, if I was to go out and uh, register richardtub.ru and send you know, fake um, uh, a fake invoice out to a bunch of your people, 
there's a whole bunch of things that can be done to disrupt that campaign, right? Takedowns, a certificate revocation, um, you know, blocking it, reporting the URL to the big providers so that they know that this is um, being used for cyber hijinks and shenanigans. And so there's a, there's a lot of things that we can do. And then because we see the cybercrime ecosystem leveraging a lot of like commodity tools like Cobalt Strike, giving you the IOCs for what Cobalt Strike does or what Cobalt Strike looks like or what co or how Cobalt Strike works would allow you to either build in the technology or go buy the technology to detect that kind of commodity malware attack. So, so a lot of it is about understanding, you know, what the activities of the adversary are and then suggesting what the countermeasures that can be taken, including such things as deployment of honeypots and, of course, you know, offensive cyber. And not about, I'm not talking about like hacking back against a domain or IP address because that's generally fruitless and depending on what country you're in, highly illegal. But what I'm talking about is disruption of the cyber criminals' activities by, you know, aggressively reporting the URL, blocking inbound and, and outbound communications to those, um, to those dangerous areas, and just making life as uncomfortable for the bad guys as possible. Got it. And uh, I'm going off to uh, register richardtub.ru immediately if I haven't already. Uh, well, you should <laughs> really be in the Russian market, man, because it seems to be high growth. <laughs> I will consider it. I will consider it. So I said at the top of our conversation, Ian, you're one of, if not my go-to uh, re research person within the cybersecurity space. I find most of the information that I need comes through you. Where does Ian Thornton Trump go to keep his finger on the pulse of cybersecurity, though? Do you have any resources, podcasts, uh, any other resources that you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, like sign up for all of the sort of Intel providers briefings uh, that come out. I'm, I'm lucky to, you know, be on some SANS stuff and lucky to be on uh, CompTIA IASO, which is a great way to get your feet wet. Um, if you're in the channel and you're familiar with CompTIA, they're running a great intelligence sharing um, organization headed up by MJ Shore. I think that's you know, probably one of the really powerful things that there that is going on, right? And then it goes just, you know, my own Google alerts for like breach um, or, you know, ransomware attack and that kind of thing. Um, I would say in terms of like teaching and education resources, um, the public access to courts record system, when I see a press release from DOJ that tells about, you know, how a bunch of hackers broke into a business and, and what they did and how they, they pulled off the scam that they did, reading through that indictment and, and sort of underlying the key failures uh, of the technology. And this is where we go back, I think, almost to another policy issue. We need to talk about data breach. We need to understand, you know, we need to be a colonial pipeline and say, this is how the bad guys got in. We had a neglected VPN that wasn't uh, that wasn't decommissioned. It wasn't protected by multi-factor authentication. Uh, we suspect access could have been leveraged through a vulnerability of that VPN or that the credentials were, uh, you know, for sale in the dark market or publicly exposed. They went through and checkmark boxed all of their failures to get to where they got hacked, right? We're seeing this in CISA disclosures as well too, where they go into detail of then the bad guys did this, then the bad guys did this. 
that is all really valuable intel um, on, on threat actor activity. It hasn't changed a lot. Um, you know, there's not a lot of mystery. There's some technical mysteries now with, you know, DLL side loading and all sorts of different types of techniques for maintaining persistence on an endpoint. But to be fair, the initial breaches are pretty much straightforward. And by just doing some common dog stuff, uh, we can really up the uh, up the ante against the bad guys. Wow. Absolute gold, my friends. For anybody listening to this, go and rewind that when you get back to the office. If you're listening to this in the car, out for a walk or whatever, rewind and re-listen to that last five minutes of resources that uh, Ian has just mentioned. Absolute gold. Thank you for sharing it. Now, CompTIA, you're a very active participant and con- yeah. com- um, contributor, I should say, to the CompTIA UK channel community, uh, plus many other local IT communities, not only here in the UK, but globally as well. What does the MSP community mean to you? Why do you get involved and give your time and experience so freely to these communities? So, so when I look at what you know what the effect of a, a cyber attack is on a large enterprise business. That large enterprise business, you know, has the ability to raise the necessary funds to survive the attack. In the small business community that is generally serviced by these MSPs and IT providers, um, it is an existential threat, um, and it can put you know life's work uh, at risk. Um, you know, so so if you want to really make a big difference out there, you know, focusing on the IT providers, the IT service providers, giving them great advice, um, helping educate them about, you know, threats and countermeasures and, you know, taking the fight to the enemy and those kind of things. I think it's where you can do most good, you know, and I would challenge, you know, IT professionals to walk in the shoes of an MSP or IT service provider out there and see, you know, what that challenge is from like completely different set of applications to some networks that are, you know, horrifically vulnerable to some networks that are very secure and everything in between. And so, you know, the MSPs in my mind are like the only hope Obi-Wan Kenobi for actually getting some extra security um, and extra safeguards in place, uh, you know, to protect those businesses from literally the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will say for anybody listening to this, you know, Ian is very, very approachable. Uh, any of these conferences, any of these events, you know, if you're in the UK, I encourage you to come along to one of the CompTIA UK uh, channel community events, the EMEA conference. I would also say, though, when you hit the uh, the restaurant or the bar afterwards, sidle up to Ian <laughs> and ask him for some of his stories and perhaps the stories that we can't share publicly on uh, this podcast. But I can't let you go today, Ian, without sharing at least one good story. So I know you used to work at the Canadian Museum of Human Rights. You've got some yeah. interesting stories to share from that time. Can you share one that perhaps won't give... Uh, you know, won't won't make anybody blush too much, but would be uh, amusing and interesting to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the one of the interesting challenges of that uh, of that project was really it was the first national museum uh, built outside the capital region. I was brought in for about three months to get the get everyone to the grand opening. And I just worked with some absolutely fabulous people. Um, but one of the 
more challenging situations was as part of the infrastructure that would run the exhibitions, it was all Mac minis. And um, I ended up uh, going to another huge person in the cybersecurity community, Zoe Rose or RoseSec Ops on, uh, on Twitter, and brought her in to look after and corral 90 Mac minis as part of the build. And what I quickly learned was that running a PC network is easy. Uh, running a Mac network is easy. What is not easy is running the two of them and, you know, segregating them and protecting them uh, in different ways. And I mean, we were lucky for this because there was almost an unlimited budget in a, in a sense for the National Museum. It had to be done right. Um, so we had all the technology in the world. But even some of the, the, uh, the highest paid guys um, on the crew, folks with cybersecurity backgrounds, they were all pretty much either network specialists or Windows infrastructure specialists. So the idea of having these Macs was a really unknown uh, quantity. Ultimately, though, you know, it was um, great. We got all sort of greens on the pen test because, you know, what we were trying to threat model was advanced persistent threat actors that um, had, shall we say, a uh, not as a charitable view of um, human rights. And so we knew what the adversary was capable of. And so the, you know, the infrastructure has multiple VLANs and, you know, uh, multiple configurations. Fast forward to the disclosures that came out many years ago around um, potential NSA implants into um, a certain company called uh, Rhymes with Nabisco. Uh, infrastructure and um, it would the decision was made to eat as in remove all of that infrastructure and replace it with a different brand as a result of that threat. So you know um, I would say that you know sometimes you've got to make the tough calls. Uh, that was a call that was made after my time there. Uh, but you know sometimes in order to advance the security, uh, you need to make a really tough call and a really expensive call, um, you know, uh, in order to make sure that uh, you preserve the integrity of that infrastructure and it's above reproach. Amazing. And again, I will say for anybody listening to this, if next time you see Ian at a conference, go and say hello. Say you hear him on Tub Talk, but side the luck to him and I'm asking for a story because this man. Yeah, this is why I spend time with Ian at conferences, because there is a wealth of information and interesting stories to be found. Ian, I could talk to you all day, my friend, but I know you've actually got work to do to keep us all safe out there. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, today. I know, Ebbies, you are really, really appreciate it. If anybody wants to continue the conversation uh, with you, how can they find you online? We've already mentioned your uh, Twitter, Fat Hobbit. We'll include that in the show notes. Any other way people can uh, follow what you're doing? You can always hit me up on LinkedIn and please don't offer me uh, certification training. Um, 
<laughs> that would be your, that would be your first step to gaining a a, a response from me. Uh, but yeah, um, and then of course at the conferences, um, I'll be around. I'm going to be involved uh, at the conferences at the Olympia, the ILAC Center, the the Lead Center, so CompTIA, DTX. Like I'll be around. So please come by, say hello to us, and and you know it, it's quite possible Richard and I will be very close to each other during those conferences. So Will say hello. Indeed. And why I maintain a list of all the MSP conferences just to a search on awesome list of MSP events and you will find uh, that blog post up near the top of there. Ian, what a pleasure to catch up with you. Let's not leave us along next time. Things are moving at a pace. It's uh, always brilliant to catch up with you and hear the wisdom. You are a shining light in the MSP, in the cybersecurity uh, realm as well. Appreciate all you do and hopefully you've made a few new fans with today's appearance as well. But uh, thank you, Ian. I look forward to catching up with you very, very soon. You bet. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. This episode of TubTalk is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com forward slash TubTalk and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support, offered 24 by 7 by 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Linode offers the industry's best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, dedicated high-memory GPUs and their upcoming bare-metal release. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com forward slash TubTalk and create a free account with your Google, GitHub, or email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com forward slash TubTalk for $100 in credit. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is MSP Insights. Now, every Tuesday, I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business, plus cool resources I found, discovered, or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.